Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Check out this hep new intro I made. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science as fuck. Welcome to Science AF. I'm your host, Dave Chacho, and it's 2020. It's Science AF 2020. Uh, we'll call it season two or three. I don't know. I lost track. But uh, we've been off for a couple months. I'm back, and I'm here with a an old friend of the podcast, uh, the doomsdayer <laughs> of the climate and climate Elvis, Josh Willis. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show. Uh, both Josh Willis and Climate Elvis are here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, you want me to send? You want me to send that science guy in? Yeah. All right. Let's. Can we speak to hang Josh? On, hang on a minute. Hey. Hey, what's Josh. Up? What's up, Dave? <laughs> um, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. The last time we, we talked, you were about to go on a trip to Greenland, and go, and, I and, did, and you did. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. How's the uh, the rest of your year been? Uh, uh, More things. Well, I I just successfully lowered my blood pressure. So you lowered? How'd you do that? Drugs. Oh yeah, drugs. Where, yeah. Was it? Uh, well, dangerously high. No, <laughs> it was it was dangerously. I went to the I went to urgent care. Oh really? Yeah, my wife's For, my wife's a doctor, and she said, you know what? That's too high. You got to go to the doctor so were there symptoms or you just had a blood pressure I had a, test that i had a headache high. and i we have a cuff uh. at home and i've had high blood pressure for a while but you know mm -hmm. the holidays yeah you know all those I, um christmas I, bowls of salt yeah, christmas bowls of salt and uh whiskey yeah <laughs> salt um, and whiskey right <laughs> the old exactly blood pressure cocktail yeah yeah so but uh i i so I mean, uh, plus drugs, plus yeah. healthy eating yeah, habits. I yeah, I, have you changed your ways? I have. I've changed my evil ways, and uh, I haven't had a drink since January first. Oh, good. Yeah, which is nice. And uh, are you going to make that a thing, or like are uh, you doing a, a sober month yeah, or a sober little while, at or least a forever? Month. Yeah, at least a month. We'll see. You know, sounds like a good healthier. Yeah. I lost go. a couple pounds, so now I, I just took it this morning. It was one fifteen over seventy five. Mm hmm. Which is awesome. Uh, I don't know what the numbers mean, but yeah, that's all right. That's I'm a scientist, so you know, I have to know. <laughs> 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 it's, it was up to 140 over 100. That's that's too high, to, you know, like regularly all the time. Wow. That's, so you know, yeah, that's that is high. high. What, so 140, and now it's down to 115. 115, and over said so the bottom number went down to 70, the mid 70s. So nice. That's good. Yeah. Sounds better. Um, and I mentioned Climate Elvis. You go around and you you do. Uh, I do. I I did. You, you do a comedy comedy science show. I do. I I, I did Climate Elvis last night. My two favorite way. things. Yeah. Comedy and science. Yeah. Uh, you did it last night. At last a, night. Yeah. Uh, there was a there okay. was a science night at uh, the Elliott Arts Magnet in uh, Altadena. Uh huh. And somebody asked me to come do my play my uh, my song. So I went and I I took my my guitar and I just butchered the jailhouse rock chords and uh <laughs> and I sang a little bit. It was great. Just jamming some power chords. Yeah. Some power chords. Singing about the climate. Yeah. Underpowered chords I would call them in my case. Uh huh. It was pretty bad. Low but power. Yeah, low power chords, yeah. So 
tired courts. Tired uh, courts. Uh, they were tired. But uh, not for nothing, you're legitimately a client scientist at JPL. I am, correct? yeah. I, I study global warming for NASA. Um, mm-hmm. The lead scientist for the, the missions that measure sea level rise from space. And I also run a mission called OMG. OMG. OMG, Oceans, Oceans Melting, Greenland. Melting Greenland. That's it. I have the sticker on the wall. Yes. It's covered but it's, uh, yeah, by it right other there. stuff. There it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah. OMG. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into uh, what you talked about, what you found out flying around Greenland, yeah. with throwing uh, thermometers out the back That's of a, right. a cargo plane into yeah. the ocean. My dad calls them beer cans. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Are they like the they're like a size of a beer they're, can? They're, they're they would be a very they're more like the size of a yard, you know. Oh okay. It's like a yard of beer. Can. A yard of beer. Yeah. And they have a little uh, they have a little GPS in them and yeah. some data that they send to you. Yeah, they actually it's it's interesting they don't actually have a GPS so. We know where they are because we know where we threw them out of the plane. So that's oh, really? About, yeah, that's about as good as they get. Will you never find them here. again? No, no. They're one-time use. Are they go down. They uh, uh, drop a little probe down through the water, and it measures the temperature and the saltiness yeah. from the top all the way to the bottom, radios the data back, and then the, the part that's at the surface actually sinks itself after about 15 minutes. So oh, okay. Yeah, they're one-time use. So are you contributing to the ocean? Oh, we're making uh, a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> garbage <laughs> you <know>? patch. <laughs> yeah, but actually, not the garbage patch. Interestingly, everything on them uh, is heavier than seawater. Okay. So there's a couple plastic parts, but they, they're heavier than seawater, so they wind up on the bottom. And most of it is metal, which actually corrodes away over a few years. Uh, it's not generally so toxic. It's not generally toxic. It's a, and it it's you know it gets covered by sediments pretty quickly too. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's not a zero footprint, but it's actually pretty small. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's look into the general science news first, and then we'll get into some climate stuff. Uh, Everybody's talking about the Wuhan coronavirus. <laughs> um, yeah. People are scared. Maybe we should be scared. We're not quite sure yet how we should be reacting to the newest uh, virus. But there's been two cases in the U.S. And um, there, one study came out, and new scientists is reporting that it might have come from snakes um, at a what they call wet markets, which are... Uh, markets in China that sell exotic, exotic <laughs> animals and <laughs> tend to have a lot of water around, and they call them wet markets, which wow. is the perfect breeding ground for yeah. crazy viruses. Gross, uh, right? And and then I read another report. Uh, well, so it might have come from snakes. So um, don't kiss your snakes if you have them. Um, <laughs> But then I heard another report that said that's ridiculous. No viruses ever come from snakes because they're not mammals. Uh, probably came from a mammal. Um, I don't know which to believe. Like most, like yeah. SARS and and MERS and all those things came from, they think bats originally. Really. Most most viruses that transfer to humans come from, uh, you know, you know, pigs or bats or yeah. maybe chickens. I guess I don't know. Um. Yeah, so well, we don't know yet. I mean, like, from. and it's, uh, you know, what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas anymore, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, these I mean, things are all global instantly because of the way we travel. We live now. in a global world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's, you can't, uh, 
it's it's not it's not a localized world anymore. So definitely not. Uh, yeah. There's consequences to doing dangerous things like yeah. having exotic <laughs> animals in cages and a lot of standing water. Right. And then people flying to Chicago. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll I mean, see, uh, like SARS petered out, Ebola petered out. Where, yeah, they didn't become global epidemics, but it's it's only been a hundred years since uh, the Spanish flu was a global epidemic. Right, and killed off like millions of people, way, like way more than World War One and Two. Right. Yeah, yeah. in twenty eighteen, I believe, um, Spanish flu killed off like something like a third of the world or something. Yeah, like a lot of people. Yeah. Um. So we're not to that level yet. Don't run for the hills yet, but also, if you have been to a wet market in China, don't fly around the world. Yeah, just keep that at home for stay, a while, Stay please. in bed. <laughs> Wait um, till you get better. <laughs> I think it's it doesn't kill everyone, but it kills a percentage, like uh, maybe 30, 20, 30 percent of the that's, people that get it. That's pretty high. So that's you know? um, a little scary. Yeah. Here's an article from Science Daily that living robots made from frog cells. Oh, have you heard about that? <laughs> I saw the headline, but I didn't really get to. I didn't really get to dive into it. It's well, they used a supercomputer to basically, like a like Legos, the computer figured out how to take frog cells and make little like little mindless brainless walking machines. <laughs> they move like little cell. The blobs of cells that can move and do a little like a specific task, they can't reproduce. They don't have a brain. They're just a glob of, and they made them. So the supercomputer wow. figured it out, and then they put them together in a They're lab. Like tiny Republicans, like little, <laughs> what, brainless the little things brain, little that just move around. And, that yeah, exactly. All they do is uh, lower taxes. Right. Um, it's a little scary. I mean. I feel like this is the beginning of, uh, you know, the movie where the the things start. Uh, yeah, it's Frankenstein, right? Start taking over, and yeah. they start reproducing on their own, and yeah. taking over. Also, hasn't uh, Australia been through enough? Like they had the whole oh, cane toad epidemic, and now we're <sighs> we're building rope more. Yeah, right. we're building frog <laughs> little machine frogs. To Definitely, if they wind up being poisonous, they're going to Australia. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's where I mean, pretty much all of our deadly animals are in Australia, right? Yeah. Um, math says that you should use coarser coffee grounds to make the perfect espresso. Not, really? not. Uh, you shouldn't overgrind your espresso. No, according I to math. that one I missed. How? What's that? What's that about? Um, it's just a a, a m- mathematical model found that um, there's an optimal grind level to espresso and it's yeah. not super fine it's kind of coarse because super fine when it's almost dust consistency yeah. espresso powder uh it tends to clump together and the water doesn't get through it as easily oh. or the steam and wa- the steam which you you push the steam through and it turns into water at the bottom and um wow so you want it to be a little bit coarse and there's a, an exact like like millimeter measurement that they found. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, anyway, a, a coffee shop in Oregon found that they they saved 13 cents per drink. Wow. Is that right? 13 cents per drink by making stronger coffee with less grounds. 
and uh, save $3,000 a year. So actually, Maybe. coffee shops could save a lot of money <laughs> globally. If or they, they could just make stronger espresso. Yeah, well. Right? I mean, yeah, the, the optimal... This is right. how they make the strongest espresso yeah, from the, if they if they mathematically optimize. Exciting. <laughs> you said stay in cool, stay in school, kids. Right. You said maths would never be useful. Right. <laughs> here's here's the uh, a uh, sound clip. They have reproduced what they think the the voice of a three thousand year old Egyptian mummy. <laughs> um, this one I did see. So yeah. they did you listen to it? Yet? I did. I did. Uh, here, let's see if this comes through. This is how a mummy sounds. <laughs> it's just that clip. You know what? That is exactly what I thought. A mummy <laughs> exactly. Would sound like. That's right? <laughs> that's the terrifying sound I hear in my dreams yeah. when it's and it's chasing me, and I my feet are stuck in mud. Right. Um, it doesn't really want to kill you, but it it's probably going to try and sell you a timeshare. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what mummies the mummies yeah. do. The, the curse is just that they chase you around, right? right? Exactly. They exactly. They can't really be strong enough yeah. to, to they, do much when they catch you. They waste a lot of your time, and they're really annoying. I yeah. Think, right. You just yeah. I feel like you'd just be pushing them off. Did you Did you ever watch uh uh what was it Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Yes. There's the mummy episode. Um. Because all he wants is a hug. Hug. Oh, <laughs> and then he'll curse you if you don't that hug That sounds him. vaguely familiar. Yeah, that's my wife and I talk about that all the time. Hug. You know, hug. <laughs> then you're like, no, and you're like, curse. <laughs> no, no, mummy, don't curse me. All right, here's a hug. <laughs> that's a, a disturbing look into your private life. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh. So what they did was they used imaging and 3D printing to reproduce uh the mummies or you know the the former humans um uh you know what do you call it? vocal larynx, cords yeah. larynx yeah. and um then they built it <laughs> with a 3d printer and it, the sound it makes is <laughs> hug <laughs> hug <laughs> um yeah. so i mean i, I mean, guess it, that guy it sounds like they they installed it in one of those rubber chickens, you know? <laughs> Just yeah. one squeeze. They didn't try to make it say anything. It makes me wonder, like, we don't have a lot of mummies from the same community, so what if they all sounded sort of like us, except one guy who's like, Hey, everybody. What are you, why are you wrapping me up in these gauze and burying me in this tomb? And then we, we dug him up. Two thousand years, three thousand years later, to be that guy. <laughs> they're gonna bring him back. <laughs> hey, I'm back. Okay, that's the science news. Let's get into OMG. Oh, WTF? OMG. Oh my God, yeah. Greenland. Um, so you went out and you measured the uh, water temperatures, right? And did you do you also measure like the the uh, the mass of the uh, ice on Greenland and stuff? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it turned out 2019 was a really interesting year in Greenland, um, and especially for us for OMG because OMG, what we're really trying to do is figure out how the ocean is eating away at the ice, because the ice in Greenland, you know, we think of it like a big block of ice sitting on a hill, but that's not what it is. In fact, the ice is so thick pushes the land down 
mm. and makes the uh, ice actually sit below sea level. So there's all these glaciers that are flowing ice. It's also moving. That's the other thing we don't think about all the time. It's not just mm-hmm. a still block. It's actually ice is flowing off Greenland into the water. And when it reaches the water, the water has the opportunity, if it's warm, it can melt away the bottom of the glacier and actually make it break off more quickly and dump more and more ice uh, faster and faster into the water. And so that stimulates sea level rise. It causes sea level rise. And you get more icebergs, more Titanics. Exactly. More icebergs, more Titanics. And um, so the water plays an important role, too. Um, But, of course... The air is melting the surface as well. And so 2019 was really, really interesting because it was a, like a record warm year for Greenland. It was the second warmest it, it was global s- year on record. Is that's that right? right. It was the second warmest global year. And uh, Greenland really got hosed, man. It, it, got, it got hammered. Like mm-hmm. just surface melt everywhere. Uh, there was a huge amount of runoff uh, from just the air being so warm. But what's interesting about 2019 is that uh, a few years ago, um, OMG uh, discovered that this cold water uh, from deeper in the in the oceans, further south, um, made it up onto the shelf around Greenland. There's kind of like a an underwater sh- continental shelf around Greenland, mm-hmm. and this cold water got up there on the west side, and it slowed down some of the glaciers. Oh, that's good i guess it's kind of it's good i mean it's a it's interesting because i mean it's a cycle it's part of a natural cycle so we know this is a temporary slowdown um in the long run you know the whole ocean's warming so it's going to warm back up eventually but it allows us to see kind of how sensitive the glaciers are to a change in the ocean temperature so what was interesting about 2019 is that we went back and actually the water temperature there in the oceans stayed cold so it was a record warm year for the air, but it was a cold year for the water. Hmm. And this is great scientifically because it allows us to kind of separate how much of Greenland's melt is caused by the water versus the air. Gotcha, yeah. So it's interesting. It, it, it was not a, quite a record year for Greenland melt, but had the water temperature been warm, it probably would have been. Right. So it's, it's going to help us kind of calibrate which is more important in the long run and how, how much, you know, in, in the short run, the air probably is, is more important. But it, over the long run, we think these glacier speeds and stuff are going to play a bigger and bigger role. And so the ocean's going to play a bigger role. So this year, 2019, you know, we're s- the dust is still kind of settling on the, the final numbers of how much ice it lost and why. But uh, it's going to be really interesting for science because it'll help us uh, predict what Greenland's going to do in the future way better. Okay. So that's, uh, it's not as dire as it could have well, been, yeah, it's, I it's guess. Yeah, it's mixed news. I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? I mean, you know, in the, in the long run, like, for instance, um, a few years ago, the biggest glacier in Greenland actually started growing. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I too quiet? No, you're great. Okay, I just great. peeked at the okay. levels. It, okay, looks, good, good, good. it looks perfect. Sweet. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, uh, a few years ago, OMG figured out that the biggest glacier in Greenland is actually growing. Uh, it's called oh, Jakobshavn. That's, uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, and it's because it, it, this cold water showed up. How do they grow? Do they, don't they grow from snowing at the, well, one, in, at the top end or something? A, it, it, in a, over the very long run, yeah. But 
um, over the short run, like the glacier's ice is, you know, sliding into the ocean all the time. Right. Um, and if the water's warm, it, it, eat, it can eat away at the edge of it and the glacier retreats. But if the water's cold, then that flow, that movement of the ice will, will push the glacier forward because it's not breaking off faster than the flow oh, of the I ice. See. Right. And so Jakob Chauvin actually, for the first time in 20 years, in mid-2016, it advanced. It grows um, into... It grows out into the ocean. In, out into the ocean. It grows out into the ocean. Um, it's constantly still breaking off icebergs and dumping more ice in the ocean, but that breaking off was, was slower that year than the, f- the regular flow of the ice. Mm-hmm. And that actually uh, was triggered by the arrival of this cold water. So what that tells us is that for at least the really big glaciers, the water around Greenland has a huge role in how fast they're disappearing. Now, in the short term, that's great because we got some cold water, right? Yeah. But in the long term, that's bad because we know the whole ocean is warming. I mean, over 90% of the heat we're trapping on the planet is warming up the oceans. Mm-hmm. So in the long run, it's going to warm up. You know, how, whether it's this year or five years or 10 years, this cold water that's on the shelf right now is going to get replaced by warmer water. Yikes. And when it does, then the glacier will retreat even faster because the water will be faster, the air temperature will be faster, the surface melt will be faster, everything will be faster. Yeah, which is the scary, like we might hit a, a an exponential sort of... That's right. Uh, you know, climate change yeah, singularity I mean, where it just <laughs> starts moving faster exactly. and faster. Exactly. There's all these tripwires in the climate, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to hit some of them eventually... Um, and things are going to run away out of control. And that, that's the really scary part. Yeah. Um, now, did you, can you say if water or air has a greater effect on the, the well, our, on, our on, ice on Greenland, in yeah. the world? Yeah, it, it, de- it depends. I mean, for Greenland, we're still figuring that out. Um, like, the air is probably more important sometimes. So, like, for a summer, you know, uh, the air can melt a whole lot of water. Mm. But over five or six years, the added effect of the ocean can be pretty big. So, and, and that's part of what OMG is trying to figure out. So we're still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, Antarctica is, is a different beast, though. Yeah, and that's getting hit hard. It too. is, it is. And, it, and in Antarctica, it's mostly cold. The air is mostly cold. It's mostly below freezing. Um, so the big player in Antarctica is definitely the ocean. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the air is the still air's, The air is always pretty cold. You know, it has to be above freezing to melt, right? And it's just not, not that much of the ice sheet gets above freezing. Oh, here it is. The, um, I have an article on Antarctica's doomsday glacier is melting. And I think by doomsday glacier, they mean if this one t- collapses, it's... It's going to reverberate around the the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thwaites. Thwaites. Yeah. Uh, Antarctica's Thwaites Glacier, um, if it collapses, could trigger sea level rise probably within days or weeks, in which you know could uh, affect New York, London, Florida, you know. Yeah, LA. I mean, this kind of the scary thing about it is we just we don't really know how fast it can disintegrate. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And this glacier is holding back a big chunk of the ice sheet. You know, we talked a little while ago about how the ice in Greenland is below sea level. Well, a lot of the ice in Antarctica is below sea level, too. Mm-hmm. So if warm water starts to eat away at it, uh, it can. we just don't know how fast it can sort of run away and, and melt a big portion of it. And that's what's happening wow. with Thwaites. Yeah. Do you think... Um, I know, like, New York has a proposal to build seawalls now. Um, is this going to be a... Is, is rising sea levels going to be, you know, affecting people, you know, migration, people, where people live? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It already is. Um, yeah. I mean, even True. here in California, right along our coastline, there's a uh, half dozen or so small towns and cities that are deciding whether to give up and move away. I mean... Just dissolve the cities? Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, that's scary. Uh, and even at the homeowner level, I mean, if you own a house and, you know, 30 years ago it was okay and now five, six times a year it gets flooded because of high tides or storms, mm-hmm. uh, can you really afford that? And and who pays to fix it? Or I've seen pictures of houses on, on cliffs that are eroding away and... Yeah. They used to be, you know, right. 100 feet from the edge, and now they're yeah. teetering. Yeah, their porch is in the, is, is in uh, the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, a, it's a thing, and, the, you know, the erosion is something that's kind of always been there, but, of course, it's accelerating because of the sea level rise. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's, a, there's a number of communities um, in, uh, in San Diego. Um, uh, wh- oh, what's the name of the one down there south of Pacific Beach? Um, uh, it's the little surfer community. Seal Beach. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, uh, it'll come back to me in a minute. La Jolla. It's south of all that stuff. Uh, it's kind of hard to get to. Anyway, um, I- in San Diego, there's small communities that are right there on the water that now flood. You know, many times a year. Mm-hmm. And okay, you can build seawalls sometimes uh, and keep some of it out. Um, but who pays for the seawall, right? If you're a, if you're not a rich town, you know, if it's not Malibu with right. million dollar homes running up and down, who's going to pay for the seawall? Um, and or whose responsibility a, is it? If it's a whole, you know, if it's New York City, when do you spend billions of dollars to build a wall all the way around the city? Like, yeah. Uh, the, one thing that we're learning is. Um, Monetarily, we tend to wait till it's an, a, a catastrophe. There's right. a line from Futurama where somebody says to, where Kiff says to Zap Brannigan, "Sir, it's an emergency," and he goes, "Come back when it's a catastrophe," <laughs> which is kind of how we deal with all of these climate things that are yeah that's that are exactly happening true. in the world. We, no one's willing to pay preemptively. Um, just based on the the warnings that science is giving us. Yeah, I mean, like you know, people people won't do anything to mitigate it, to stop it from happening, and then they don't want to do anything to deal with it once it happens. Yeah, and you know, th- it's a it's a problem from beginning to fi- to finish. I mean, when, one of the stories I saw is that the Australian government had a, a report eleven years ago. That and they even they even said 2020. They said in around 2020 they were going to have cat- catastrophic fires, 
and they were right on. They yeah. they nailed it. Um, the the science that I was reading in the in the late '80s and early '90s was was dead on to what we're seeing today. Like all of this was predicted. All of this we knew. In fact, it's it might be a little bit worse than they predicted right now. Yeah, absolutely. We you know as scientists we tend to be pretty conservative. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, all of these, the, the weird weather we're having, um, the, the warming oceans, the, uh, the fires everywhere, it's, it's all stuff that we knew was coming. Right. That's, that science told us was coming. Um, maybe we're starting to wake up as a human species, but I don't know. Um, you know, young people seem to be taking up the mantle of, uh, you know, climate change, Green New Deal, uh, you know, changing our ways, hopefully, before we we literally all perish. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, 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 these, it's a problem. It's kind of like sea level rise, right? You know, it, it's a death by a thousand floods. Right. Uh, you know, it, it um, it's these kind of small cuts, um, that add up over time. And of course, there's nothing small about the fires in Australia this year. Uh, yeah. And however, you know, fire is part of that ecosystem, just like it is here in Southern California. But what's changed is the fire season's gotten longer, the temperatures have gotten higher, the air has gotten drier. It, yeah, it's and raining so less in the summers. Yeah, so all that stuff together. Um, begins to add up quickly and that's that's kind of where we are um and and we're seeing that in in a lot of places like you said in the uh in the ecosystems and um uh flood zones in california and around the world yeah and i mean this this article says that uh the australian fires alone have emitted between 0.4 and 0.7 gigatons of carbon into the air um it sounds like a lot it's just numbers so it's hard to to say if it's big or small but uh gigatons of uh it, it's a big spike in co2 it worldwide is. and uh we're seeing like uh air quality i read air quality in new york city right now is low because of canadian wildfires i read that the 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 smoke from the australian wildfires is moving all the way around the planet um, we still have, you know, Brazilian wildfires. Right. Um, I don't know if there's any active in California right now, but we had a really active season last year and the year before. Um, so things look bleak. Yeah. Uh, but I, it, it there's a weird thing with between uh, optimism and pessimism because, um, on the one hand, if you get if you're too pessimistic, people just stop trying. And you don't want that. Like, there was an article that went around that said the Great Barrier Reef is dead, So, which is not true. The Great Barrier Reef right. is still there and it's still alive. Um, and when people hear that it's dead, they stop trying to save it. Right. Um, right. You don't want to stop trying to save the planet. No. It's not dead yet. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you do want to carry a metal straw, but you, you don't have to. But, you know, it's, you know, yeah. the little things to it to increase to decrease your footprint and try to help are definitely um 
you know, well taken. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean the Earth is like a a Monty Python sketch, right? It's not quite dead. It's not quite <laughs> dead yet. I don't want to go on the cot. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> um, on the other hand, if you're too optimistic, like some, um, let's say Republican senators, they go, "Oh, we'll just solve it later." Yeah, we'll just we have, we have wait we have ideas. Right. We'll just wait. We'll yeah. come back when it's a catastrophe. Right. We'll fix it with technology. Right. Um, that's too optimistic because that uh, there's a very real chance we could extinguish humanity. Um, but I don't want to say that it's a 100% chance. Cause yeah. I we'll mean, I think it's more likely that we'll extinguish uh, certain governments and, you know, parts. I don't think... And and some some of civilization, you know. I don't think yeah. all of the people, you know, we're like cockroaches. It's probably hard to kill all of us, but uh, right. But uh, it could be a last man on earth scenario yeah, where we right. kill off almost all of us. Yeah, or you know, I mean, uh, countries collapsing right now, like political infrastructure uh, yeah, failing, refugee crises yeah. where people are trying to move away from. Um, right, which always causes war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, you get. You get hardline right-wing presidents when there's refugees because people get scared because somebody that doesn't look like they're used to is right. a- asking for help and a home. Um, so, and then that just exasperates the problem because then the right-wing leaders always make the the climate worse and yeah. the wars <laughs> right. go on longer. Yeah, you know, it's like a, it in climate we often talk about feedbacks, right? Right, uh, right. And so these feedback loops, uh, more commonly called vicious cycles, right? Something sure. that reinforces itself. It's the same as when you're at a yeah. concert and you hear one of the the microphones start squeaking because yeah. it's got a it because it's feeding back. Yeah, this happens in a lot of things. It happens in the environment. It happens in politics. But where a bad thing causes something else to happen which causes the original bad thing to get worse and that right. just um, yeah it's a it's a, a a vicious cycle becomes a vicious cycle and so um in order to not be too pessimistic and not too optimistic i did look up some possible active solutions to our climate problems um one optimistic story that just came out recently is um there's a uh, cleanup project in the pacific garbage patch and it's uh starting to become successful they they did a um they built this this uh what they call artificial coastline that's a big u-shaped thing that that um is is pulled through the pacific ocean and they said that they f- they were able to collect with w- in in their first attempt they were able to collect um let's see if i can find the number several tons of garbage and plastic and then uh fishing nets they call ghost nets they're just floating around um and they feel like they can if they keep up the this uh at this pace they can clean up 50% of the garbage patch, which is um, around the size, four times the size of France, I think, right now. Um, in five years, they, they aim to clean up 50% of it. 
and they're saying 90% by 2040. I mean, uh, that's... Which might uh, be optimistic. Too yeah. optimistic? I, I think so. I think so. I, I mean, I, I love those guys. I think they... Uh, I, I, I'm glad they're trying to do that. And, um, you know, we, we, we have to think about ways to scale up cleanup of the ocean. Um, yeah. Of course, it's equally important to figure out ways to pollute it less. Sure. Uh, I mean, you, that's... Uh, the, the upstream uh, prevention is always easier than the downstream cleanup. But right. um, but you got to remember the Pacific Ocean is one third of the planet. Yeah. Right. It's freaking huge. <laughs> it's a third of the planet. Um, and there's and a lot of junk in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that that gyre, the Pacific uh, uh, subtropical gyre. Um, is that sort of the? Uh, yeah, it's uh, referred like to like a an eddy in the it's current. It's sort of like a giant eddy that takes up, you know. It goes all the way across from east to west across the ocean and mm -hmm. is maybe a third of the northern hemisphere of the Pacific. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's huge. It's massive. Um, many times bigger than the area of the continental United States. Mm -hmm. And um, it uh, uh, will collect garbage because of the way it works. It's a place where water is sinking a little bit in the middle. Mm -hmm. And when it sinks, then other water from the surface comes in to replace it and that's what's called a convergence zone okay it means you know uh, uh it, it's sort of like when you pull the plug in a drain right in yeah the, in the bathtub you know it swirls around and all the water goes in toward the middle and you right? can see all the bubbles yeah. sort of collect in one exactly spot. exactly sure. and so that convergence zone is where all the plastic is so it's it's a massive area um and you know uh, the amount of garbage in it is in some places diffuse and in some places really intense, but, but it's all kind of collecting garbage and, uh, you know, driving ships through it with nets, um, could get a big chunk of it, but you're never going to, you know, you're never going to get it all. <laughs> it's you're never going to get it all. And the other thing though, is you're never going to stop adding plastic to the ocean. Right. Unless Unless the world stops using plastic, but that's going to be, yeah, you know, a hundred years if yeah. that uh, or more. Um, so we have to do some sort of uh, contingency plan besides just right. stopping. Like yeah. you know, you, I try not to use plastic straws. Occasionally, I do. You can't. Yeah. In yeah. this society, you can't not use plastic. Right. right. It, it's yeah, especially when you come home from the grocery store. You know, you look at all the stuff that you just bought. I mean, or, oh, yeah. or any store, you know, Best Buy. <laughs> or <laughs> you know? if you get a uh, a cable on Amazon, it comes in 10 yeah. pieces of plastic. Right, right. So, you know, I, I think that it's like you say, it's, it's hard not to get discouraged. You surely want to encourage people to try and clean up the ocean. But you can't rest. You can't, you can't go, yeah. oh, that's enough. Uh, you also have. We also have to figure out ways to avoid creating it. You, you, know? you don't just. You can't just say problem solved. And, right. And you know, right. wipe your hands. Yeah. We um, need. We need. We need materials that break down after a while. <laughs> you know, that don't last ten thousand right. years in the environment. Well, speaking of which, it, one of the big problems with uh, with plastic in the ocean is not just that it's floating around, you know, harming sea turtles, but also that. It starts to break down into smaller and smaller pieces, and then fish eat it, and then fish become toxic, and we're going to ruin, yeah. you know. 
and die. Our so food, one of our m- major world food sources. Yeah, I mean, like birds and fish uh, eat it, and um, what what happens eventually is their bodies can't process it. Uh, their stomachs fill up with it, and then they can't digest regular food. So basically, they're full, but they're starving, and they starve to death. Oh, um, right. And uh, it was pretty then grim. Something else eats them. And, and something else eats them, them the etc. Yeah, indigestion. I think, yeah, I, there was a whale or something recently that washed up. I think that had oh, a stomach that was full of stomach full of plastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's terrifying. But one um, one uh, positive thing is that the this um, this ocean cleanup project was able to filter out um, plastics as small as one millimeter size plastics. Wow, which is actually pretty impressive that's incredible With, without like yeah. grinding up a bunch of fish yeah somehow <laughs> it was able to sift out very very small pieces of plastic as well as you know giant floating tires and nets and stuff wow so they're doing a good job um that's great it's not uh, the end all be all solution but good but on them don't slow down yeah <laughs> right keep going we, ne- we could maybe use 10 times that many um collectors at some point um, speaking of collectors, uh, carbon capture is uh, hmm, kind of a thing. Um, the, uh, I mean, like I said before, we're, we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that we're not going to stop putting carbon into the air anytime soon. Um, yeah. So we're going to have to capture it back, I think. Like, I, we're, we're past the point of just reducing our pollution. We're going to have to. I think have active solutions too. Yeah, we need to pull some carb. I mean, there's too much carbon in the air right now. Right. So we're gonna have to get some back out if we can. The way know. I think about it, like we're, we're, if you were in a garage with the car on, uh, you're gonna have to either turn it off or or get some clean air in there. Yeah, but you really need to do die. both. <laughs> you really need to do both. Yeah. But since we're not turning off the car, yeah, right, <laughs> right now, because of. Uh, you know, corrupt governments and such, Um, not least of which our own corrupt government, Um, we're going to have to start pulling the CO2 and and carbon monoxide out of the air actively. And so there are solutions that can do this. Um, I mean, the factories have been doing it for years, and it's it can be fairly successful, like, by by pumping... Um, uh, exhaust through uh, chemical solutions of ammonia and, and whatever, um, it, it, pull, it can pull something like 90% of the carbon out of, you know, the exhaust from a factory or something. But, of course, that factory is still adding to the problem. I right. mean, it, it, not, it doesn't pull out 100%. And you got to figure out what to do with the solution, too. Right. Well, yeah, they're talking about... Um, Burying the solution back where we, you know, into the shale where we pulled out natural gas in the past. We know that there's structures underground that can hold natural gas because, you know, we've been pumping it out of the ground. Right. So we can push this carbon that we pull out of the air, you know, back in back in there. Although, you know, it's kind of like fracking. What, it, what will that? Yeah. 
it's reverse fracking. It's, right, kind of. I mean, it's very <laughs> much like fracking. Yeah. It's gonna. It's they're, they're pushing liquid solutions of right. carbon back underground. Will that cause earthquakes? Will it cause, yeah. you know, uh, unsettling of? And and how long will it stay? And will it stay? Yeah, we don't know. In one case, I read, um, they are, they're using the carbon solution that they're pull that they. Uh, from their carbon capture to push underground and push out more natural gas. Yeah, right. So right. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, good on them for capturing the carbon, but they're using it to make more to fossil make fuel. Make more carbon. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, not exactly what we're looking for. But besides just scrubbers on chimneys, there's active carbon capture happening, which is just, you know, Pulling car, pulling the air and pushing it through these solutions and, and pulling out carbon, and thankfully places like California are now offering um, big benefits uh, to companies who can pull carbon out of the air. So yeah. you can actually, you can actually hopefully make some money from government subsidies by building factories that just suck air and push it through cleaners and push it out again. Um, we're gonna need a fucking lot yeah. of them though, all over the planet, right? And we don't have the, you know, the means or the, the motivation yet yeah. to to do that. Um, I think this might be something that becomes a bigger thing this decade is yeah. just actively scrubbing the air. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think we're kind of past where we, you know, there's al- there's always been a fear I think among folks who care about the environment that that saying okay to these kinds of things is like giving up you know and and just it's like waiting for the catastrophe instead of the emergency right but i think we're at the point where we have to kind of entertain all the all the options i think we have to work on both sides you know um reducing output and actively clean up yeah our past output yeah you can't say no to that stuff anymore right well (laughs) uh a majority of senators still can. Well, but right. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> We're past the point where we should be. Right. Um, you know, everybody's saying, you know, the, the young generation is very hip to climate change and stuff, although, which is optimistic. On the other hand, I'm a Gen Xer, and our generation in the 90s, they said the same thing. These young kids are going to save us. Yeah. And we blew the <laughs> we <laughs> shit the bed on that. We didn't do. Well, we definitely did. Yeah, that was a. Uh, we had one Gen X president, and then went right back to the baby boomer. Yeah. Right. Oh. Um. Yeah. Well. So I don't know. Um. <laughs> here's a, another thing I was reading about um, on renewable electricity in the United States. Um. Currently, um, if you count hydroelectric power, which has some environmental drawbacks. Seventeen um, percent of the electricity in the United States is now renewable. Wow! Which is double that at the turn of the millennium. So, in twenty years, we've we've doubled our. Uh, yeah. The question is, how fast can we double it again? Yeah. Right. We can't <laughs> wait another twenty years to double no, it. No, we can't. We can't. We um, have to go fast. I mean, we need to be. You know above 50 and hopefully 
yeah nearing 100% renewable at some point right i mean but it's encouraging it is encouraging vermont is almost up to 100% wow surprisingly you would think that it might be a blue red divide idaho very conservative state is uh 81.6% renewable Wow. Washington State, Oregon, Maine, these uh, South Dakota, California, these are all at the top of the list. Yeah, California is Cal- below 50%, but it's almost 50%. Yeah. Um, at the bottom of the list, Delaware. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, New Jersey, Connecticut, Louisiana, Missouri. Get your acts together. Yeah. Um, so it's... It's actually higher. We have a higher percentage of renewable energy than I thought um, going on right now. And we're going in the right direction. Yeah. We're building more renewable energy than um, dirty energy. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that is, the is you know, renewables did well under Obama. Yeah. They did okay, you know. And I think mm-hmm. we're still realizing a little bit of that from the, from his two terms. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the state and, and local activism, too, is a lot of it. Right, right, and uh, Jerry Brown did did, did some um, some pretty forward thinking climate stuff uh, yeah. when he was governor of uh, California, and um, I don't know. I've, I'm excited about. Uh, I've mentioned a couple times the Green New Deal. Uh, people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, yeah, uh, AOC is, uh, and and a lot of the young. Um, representatives are pushing hard for um you know big changes in in our uh in in our output of you know pollution and um yeah it's encouraging though i i i thought i thought it was great to hear about that for you know a, a solid year right of mm-hmm. uh of talking about the green new deal and um uh, whatever you thought about it, it was on everybody's lips for a while, and um, uh, w- we can't let it drop. Right now, yeah. now the whatever we want to call it, we need to make sure that we're we're really moving towards policies that um, that move us away from fossil fuels, and hopefully, you know, towards social justice and better income equality and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of other, other goals other in there too, right? <laughs> a lot of other nice ideas that. Uh, uh, have been moving in the wrong direction for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of problems that need to be addressed. Yeah, but um, I mean, I feel like climate's m- right at the top of the list in in terms of um importance. You, yeah, you, since you're devoting your entire <laughs> career to the climate, I assume yeah. you probably agree. Well, you know, it's a great time to be a climate scientist, <laughs> right? Actually, because we're Is doing it? this experiment with the planet. Yeah, with our climate. I mean, you know, and scientists are all about experiments. How does this thing work, and why does it matter? And uh, so, we're getting a crash course. Um, <laughs> right. You know, if you ever want to study what it's like to yeah. asphyxiate the world, right? Exactly. Oh, this will be interesting. <laughs> Let's try this out. <laughs> right. Uh, it's funny. There's almost like a morbid fascination. I think a lot of people ask, you know, oh, climate scientists must be bummed out all the time, and it's kind of like, well. They're a little bit excited. It's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like asking a doctor if they get uh, uh, freaked out by the sight of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a surgeon, you're kind of like, oh, wow, this is cool. I get to put somebody back together or fix something or try something or, do, or learn something, right? 
Yeah. You know, and so so sci- climate scientists are kind of the same way right now because we're we're fascinated by the stuff that's going on. But of course, I guess we study viruses. Too. You're probably excited when there's a new yeah, oh, epidemic. Coronavirus. Let's see what this thing does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, there. You know, it's exciting studying new things that have never happened before. That's really what science is all about, right? Is uh, right. learning new stuff yep. that's never been known by humanity before. Right. That's why it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there'd probably be fun things to study if we weren't in, you know, a, a crisis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's I. You know. I think to me, actually, one of the uh, one of the worst things about this political term is the administration's just rejection of science right yeah like all just around. flat out we're not we don't care you know this our 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 other political goals are more important right Would, in in rejecting science is a way to say um it, it it's a way to conserve power you know in a in a, a small elite group of people who can do whatever they want and then you know Scientists are the ones that say, you know, what you're doing has a detrimental effect. We're studying it. Right. Whether it be, you know, c- climate or economically, or, you know, uh, farm subsidies, whatever it is, scientists are the people that study the effects of the, right. know, the policies that you have. And if you reject it, basically you're saying, I don't want to, I'm not going to take any responsibility for the decisions we're making. Yeah, I mean, I think we're almost... We're going to ignore it. Exactly, exactly. I think almost as bad as what we're doing to the climate is what we're doing to the perception of science, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, kind of giving people permission to say, ah, scientists don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And uh, don't trust them, right? Trust your politicians, not your scientists. Yeah, that's exact. That's <laughs> the opposite of yeah. how... <laughs> right. <laughs> tr- Politicians have every reason to lie, and scientists have none. Right, exactly, you, exactly. You really should be listening to the people who've devoted their life to studying the world, the universe, the, yeah. way, the way things work, um, rather than people who who's stand to gain money and power from lying to you. Yeah, right. Right. And scientists don't gain any money or power. No. They get the same yeah, paycheck, right. which isn't huge. Drive I that understand. same Honda for 20 years, you know? <laughs> no <laughs> matter if they give good news or bad news, they get the same. Yeah. They have the same amount of power over the, their lives That's and the right. same amount of income. Yeah. They're just studying the world. And it, it's especially frustrating to see people who think that science is a, a cabal of, uh, you know, it, it's secret, you know, uh, evil demons that are lying to the world. It, it's really just, you know, it's just people that like, they're curious yeah. about the I mean, way things work. Yeah, and it's classic it, propaganda 101, right? Yeah. You, you uh, uh, label your enemies with your own sins, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, but, but the, the amount of people that are, that can't see through it yeah. is astounding. Yeah. And it just if you think about scientists of the world, for one, you know, they're competing. Scientists here are competing with scientists in China and in Russia and everywhere. 
they want to be correct because everybody's checking on them. Right. And no n- scientists love nothing better than to correct another scientist yeah. who got it wrong. So I, they can't all be lying together because one of them would be like, would love to point out that another one was lying. Yeah, all our tests get graded in public. Exactly. You know? Internationally. Yeah. By people who really want to see you fail. Right. Because they would be, you know, another scientist would be hugely famous if he was able to, if they were able to somehow find a a flaw in what you did, they would love to point it out. Oh, yeah. Which is why scientists in general, try their hardest not to be wrong, or at least try to uh, present the data they find and, um, uh, you know, be accurate. And the other thing is, there's there's millions of new scientists every year graduating from school and becoming... How would you... How would somebody who was a student of science suddenly turn into an evil demon and and start lying to the world when they got their diploma yeah don't you think somebody would one of these millions of of of, of graduates would go hey wait a second i'm not going to get on board with that i'm going to pull the whistle on this right i mean what what's easier to uh uh try and round up and uh uh herd hundreds of thousands of scientists or 53 senators right exactly probably the senators who are all (laughs) Yeah. objectively being paid by the the fossil fuels industry right like right, out right. in the open we right. know they're being paid right. by the fossil fuel industry <laughs> they spend all of their most of their day trying to find uh donations to their yeah re-election campaign right and we know they're being paid by the fossil fuel industry a few very powerful rich old mostly white men are make are being paid off to look the other way and millions and millions of people around the globe are studying what they're doing and saying yeah. it's fucked up. <laughs> so anyway, it it shouldn't take too much of a IQ to see who's lying <laughs> to us. But sometimes well, it's hard. I, I think too it's important to uh you know, we do have some duty as as part of the science community to try to maintain the public trust, you know. Sure. And scientists often it's funny, scientists uh often equate the public trust with their trust of their colleagues. I noticed this in a lot of my fellow scientists is that you know, they feel like if they um if they say something slightly outside their field or their realm or what what they wrote their last paper on, that one of their science colleagues is going to jump out from behind the bushes and go, that's wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so they, we kind of clam up um, when we talk to, like, reporters or the general public. Mm. Uh, and we don't present ourselves as kind of like uh, human, um, uh, relatable people. Right. And uh, I think w- we should. You know, I think we, we, we should be kind of trying to help have scientists uh, be role models or be interesting or be trusted, right? Ways to be trusted um, that, you know, don't require me to derive on the chalkboard why you should trust me. Right, right. 
and uh, and also I think it sounds like you're saying be a little bit um, uh, less afraid to 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 speak. Absolutely. I feel th- this is a thing that uh, being in, in a comedy writer um, it, in the world of Twitter, you know, becomes an interesting dilemma because whatever you say, people just jump. People just love to jump down your throat. Yeah. Call you out, try to say you're lying, whatever. If, even if it, if it's not political, but if if it's the least bit political, you know, you get somebody like you say jumping out of the bushes. And yeah. Going, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ha ha. Which is, yeah, I think it's detrimental to the way we're all having a conversation in the world because people are so afraid to, um, you know, say say anything that might be slightly off yeah wrong. it's 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 been interesting for me actually the last year or so uh in this last trip to greenland um i've been i've been posting on facebook and social media about the trips to greenland for a few years but this last trip i decided i'm going to do all three facebook instagram and twitter mm-hmm. um while we were in the field and i would post photos or comments and things like that and uh uh Twitter, you know, each one of them has its own kind of uh, world that that it operates in. They're all a little different, but it's the first time I really started posting regularly on Twitter. Um, and so, ju- as you say, I've gotten into a few like little epic battles in Twitter with random people mm-hmm. uh, denying climate change, uh, or, or interestingly, sometimes just trying to like. Even people, I think, uh, just want to ask enough questions of a scientist that they, they get the scientist to say, well, I don't know, <laughs> right? And for yeah. some people, it's like a challenge, right? So it's interesting to me on Twitter to figure out what, how do I talk on Twitter to people, you know? Mm-hmm. What, should I, what should I say on Twitter? What should I not say on Twitter? More importantly, I think, when, when to shut up on Twitter, <laughs> right? Yeah. When to stop tweeting, I know what you mean. You know? When, or, or when to just let the argument go yes exactly especially exactly. if somebody's just trying to push buttons or just trying right. to troll right. or just trying to make themselves feel yeah and smarter by taking you down a notch just or make you just run out of things to say yeah interesting right just wear you down wear you down uh, there's you know the the spaghetti effect which is just keep throwing enough spaghetti against the wall see what sticks right and, and you know they'll have they'll have a thousand uh, comebacks and they're probably all wrong, but if they just keep shooting them at you, yeah, it's it's it it wears on you to try to shoot down every one of them. Um, it does. So yeah. so eventually you just have to, I think, put out into the world, you know, your your findings, your even your opinions, your yeah. you know, whatever, and to some extent, just let it. It's true, and I, I often, go. honestly, uh, my. Uh, modest comedy career the, the the best way to end it is usually with a joke mm-hmm. if you can get a laugh in there at the end sometimes uh they stop throwing the spaghetti yeah that's right? that's true if you can try to because I, yeah a little bit of humor gets people not necessarily on the same side but yeah it, it um it releases some tension exactly yeah social it, disruption social disruptor yeah and a lot of times, the people that are that want to fight with you, they're just bored and they want to fight. You know? Yeah. It's, it's exactly. not necessarily that they they believe what they're saying, or maybe they find it easier to not, 
you know, to sort of close their mind to, you know, how the world is really happening, what's happening in the world, how yeah. it's, how it's, how it works, um, because it's too hard for them to actually like consider the truth that you know billions of people's lives are at risk. Right, right, and and it's some of its denial and some of its, um, uh, like you say, I think people looking for arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as a scientist, I feel like I I I have a responsibility to, as especially as a climate scientist, I feel like I have a responsibility to talk about it. And so sometimes when people post stuff on Twitter, I feel like you know I really need to respond to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really hard to find. Well, okay, when do I turn this off? When you know, when do I respond? When do I not respond? But yeah, I, I know. I feel like and I it, can't be silent. I know what you mean. You want to respond, but then also, you know, it can be uh, just a, a constant. You know, you can't always be responding on Twitter. You, oh yeah, it, I, it, I'd, it, I'd lose my day job. Right, <laughs> you lose your mind. You, yeah. you know when. It's hard to separate, like when, when somebody, when I put something political up and somebody, you know, tries to flame me, first of all, it makes me anxious for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I want to respond, but I know if I respond, then I'm just going to get in a war and it's going to yeah. take up hours. And, um, yeah, I know it, it's, it, it's hard. I don't, it, it makes me, I, I, I have, you know, social anxiety issues with it as right. well you know that not being an official scientist but um you know i don't know it's yeah. something we all have to deal with i guess in this it in, is in, in the 2020s it is yeah maybe practice will help yeah yeah that's a good point have okay. you seen this documentary on netflix about flat earth oh i heard about it i haven't seen it yet um it's actually okay beyond the behind the curve it's actually really good. I recommend this this movie, Behind the Curve, um, about flat earthers, but not in favor of flat earthers, but also not particularly um, judgmental of flat earthers. Um, it it follows them around and they talk to them, and then we talk to a lot of scientists and, and you know sort of philosophic thinkers who are like, um, this one guy in particular has a speech at the end where he's he's like, these are not necessarily our enemies intellectually enemies they're they're failed they're people that we we failed to make scientists the people that are into flat earth are people that might have been scientists they're curious about yeah the world yeah they're just they went in the wrong direction and they they closed their mind off because you know they probably felt you know some sort of inferiority because of you know they weren't educated, or you know this this uh, knowledge gap, and then they 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 dug in on this ridiculous position. Yeah, like the force was strong with them, but they were seduced by the dark side. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very well put. And so we should think of them not as enemies, but as like uh, losses that they could have been on our yeah. side yeah. if they had been better educated. If we if if we w- if our message, which is the truth of the how the world works at least you know yeah to I the mean, extent that we it is understand it, <laughs> um was better you know how can we better put our message out there yeah. and grab these people onto yeah. our side or yeah maybe i mean maybe the, it's that's a fascinating idea and it's uh, i think it's really interesting and maybe the question really is 
how do we engage these people in something that's more useful, right? Sure. I mean, like, how do we, put you know, if you're really... Put them to work making, doing experiments. Exactly, or right, right. L- like uh, studying how to sequester carbon <laughs> or, exactly. uh, you know, uh, 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 a myriad of different things, right, That's that are they're interesting. And I think that some of that has to do with, uh, like you say, like, like the science community alienating people a little bit. And yeah. Um, how do we avoid that? Or, or if not avoid it, at least try to make up for it, try to repair it. Yeah, exactly. It, it becomes, um, daunting. I think a little scary for people, especially if they, if they fall behind early in their science education, then it seems like that's why they, that's why they think science people are elitist because it seems like they're, they're suddenly, they have all the secret knowledge that right. they're not privy to. Right. And it, it's, it looks like they're on some other, you know, elite plane. Yeah. When it, it, it's, it's just a matter of them falling behind at some point and not getting some concept and then, you know, making it feeling inferior because of that. And then, then I'm just going to cling to something ridiculous because it makes me feel right equal it, to yeah you. It, it it gives you some power back right right to 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 know quote unquote know that the world is flat gives you some power over the the all those idiots who <laughs> think it's everyone round. else in the world yeah. who thinks it's round right. even though it's ridiculous on its face it it uh, I can see where it's where it, it could be um, tempting to yeah, to go there. I mean, it's alluring. It's alluring. alluring yeah. You know, I think it, it's one of the, uh, you know, th- it, it's sort of this like mythological idea, even even in the science community, to be the only one who's right about something, right? Right. Yeah. And totally. You know, it, it, one of the joys of science is being uh, the first person to figure something out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to go, oh wow, I I know this thing and. And in modern science, it's a tiny thing. Usually, you know, it's mm-hmm. like I found, like we measured the water in Greenland on the west coast this year, uh, and you know, we took some data on the plane, and and I saw it. And for that, those few moments, me and a couple people on the plane were the only ones that knew it was still cold there. The only humans in the yeah world. Who, yeah, right, right. The you universe know, exactly who knew that information. Um, and of course, the first thing I did uh, before the plane landed back home. Uh, to close out the mission, that data was already posted on our website for people to download and analyze mm-hmm. themselves, right? So, um, but, uh, but there's a kind of joy in that, like, oh, wow, we, we you know, now I, I measured this thing, it's important, you know, it gives you that, it gives you a little bit of a rush. Yeah, I um, bet. New, new knowledge yeah. introduced. And I think it's, a, I think uh, it's, a, it's a v- only a subtle difference to, uh, feel like you're the only person in the world who's right about something. Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else is wrong. You know, everybody else hasn't discovered this thing yet. It's a, it's very similar. And I think that, you know, probably those people are looking for that kind of joy and this is how they found it. Yeah. It's like being the first person to tweet something really clever. Yes. <laughs> and then <laughs> oh, and then you see everyone Yeah, right, exactly. Everyone making this joke what a week a later. Yes. Absolutely. I was the first. <laughs> Not that I've ever been the first <laughs> to make a joke. Uh but um yeah. Well um all right. Let's start wrapping up. It's been about an hour. It's been over an hour. 
Oh, that was fun. Uh, yeah, it was a great discussion. Uh, any any other things you want to touch upon? Any other predictions? Uh, uh, I predict we will talk again. Yeah, we will talk again. <laughs> Are you going back to Greenland? I am. I'm going back in August. Um, we'll go back two more times, uh, once this year, once in 2021 in August. And then we'll wrap up OMG. And um, we're busy writing science papers. There's been a ton of science results that have come out of it. And uh, uh, overall, it's been hugely successful. And I'm I'm super excited to see what the next couple of years brings. You know, uh, one of the things we're waiting to see is when the West Coast is going to warm up again. You mm-hmm. know, we, we know it's going to happen eventually, but when? And uh, so every year will be a, a, a sort of a, a suspenseful until cool. we get back there. And are you trying to build models of how the ocean is is flowing so you can sort so you can predict or you know yeah, uh, guess I, try make a make an educated guess at when it will Yeah, change? absolutely. I, I mean we we have we have ocean models uh for how the currents move and where the water comes from and how it mixes and where it gets warm and where it gets cold. But uh the models n- haven't really been able to reach all the way into the uh into the glaciers because we didn't even know the shape of the sea floor until we started omg mm. so you know is it deep here is it shallow there uh you need to know all that stuff just to figure out how the water gets there and so we're we're be- we're beginning to build those models in more detail uh so that we can really understand how connected these glaciers are to what's going on in the broader ocean okay besides throwing the probes out are you are you doing like sonar or something? We did, from yeah. The plane? For the first couple, not from the plane, but for the first couple of years, we uh, drove a ship all around all around the coasts of Greenland, mm. measuring the seawater depth. Okay. Um, we still occasionally have uh, other ships because there's places we missed. They fill in gaps, and so we're still learning about the uh, the seafloor. Still mapping the still mapping the seafloor around Greenland. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's uh, very cool stuff. I'm glad you're doing it. It's uh, fun. Thank you. Thanks for. For prognosticating our our doom, <laughs> hey, that's it's my pleasure. <laughs> One mission at a time. My pleasure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's really important work, and uh, appreciate you coming in and talking to me. Uh, great conversation, Josh, Doctor Josh Willis. Thank you very much, aka Climate Elvis. Um, do you have any um, events or? or that you want to talk about? Do you have a website? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Facebook at Cli- as Climate Elvis. Um, okay. It'll point to the page Josh Willis. But if you search for Climate Elvis, you'll find me. And I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter at, as, uh, at OMG NASA. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks yeah. for being here, Josh. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right. We'll talk later. Wait, I'm going to play my brand new theme one more time. Awesome. Take us out. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science AF. Science as fuck. And we're done.